Welcome to Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Ollie Judge. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. This episode, we're taking on AI and what the best applications for it are, and most importantly, what the secret is to actually scaling it within your business. To help unpack what that secret is, we brought on three people who work in artificial intelligence on a daily basis across all kinds of organizations. Hello, I'm Marie-Caroline Baer. I'm leading our AI offering within Capgemini Invent. Hi, I'm Julian Moles. I'm the Group Data and AI Innovation Leader at Société Générale. Hello, I'm Moes Dreyf. I'm Chief Data Scientist at Capgemini Invent. So I'm, I'm going to start off just, I, I need a baseline for our listeners on where we are with AI. And um, I know AI is a, a very, very broad term um, and it covers a lot of different technologies and it's thrown around a lot. So could you give us a little bit of the basics on what technologies fall under artificial intelligence and how should people be thinking about artificial intelligence and what it can be used for? Sure. So you're right, Holly. Uh, the term artificial intelligence uh, today is a bit confusing because we, we see a lot of news uh, talking about this technology or this revolution. But in our corporate world, I think we generally um, make the equivalent between artificial intelligence and machine learning which is only one kind of artificial intelligence, and it's a branch of computer science where we make programs and algorithms to learn uh, from past data and how they can make prediction based on past data. What kind of industries benefit the most from artificial intelligence and, and who, who can make the most out of it? So Holly, I, I think most of the industries can benefit from AI. Uh, we see that some industries are more mature than others, but most of the industries uh, can use AI either for a, a customer interaction or for uh, boosting efficiency, boosting revenues. Um, so, so that's something where... All companies uh, should really engage, and uh, we, I think we'll talk about that later, but it can really bring uh, many types of, of value. My next question is, so I, I think everyone has a rudimentary understanding of what artificial intelligence can do, but there's a lot of misconceptions about um, how it's used. But before we get to those misconceptions, what, what have been the major developments over the last five years? What, what's changed in artificial intelligence that people might not have known about? I think artificial intelligence, like using data for decision-making, this is something that we've been doing for a while in many industries. And I think what happened in the past few years that really changed the game is that there is an approach, which is called deep learning, that enable you to automate a big chunk of the work that analytics people used to do to deliver insights. And this has kind of enabled many more people to be able to use this without necessarily having a background in statistics or sophisticated computer science, but also actually we go in more and more into people with not even data science background to be able to do this. And I think this is a major uh, sh uh, shift in the way artificial intelligence is being exposed to the general public and is impacting industries and functions in, in, in different industries. What are the biggest misunderstandings around what people think 
artificial intelligence can do and what it can't do. When you're, I mean, all of you sit in meetings around artificial intelligence, what, what's the most common thing that comes up that you're like, no, it actually can't do that? I think the most common misconception about artificial intelligence is all the question of the word intelligence. Uh, because people usually assume that this kind of algorithm can do anything. Unfortunately, uh, they're very powerful for a certain type of task, and this number of tasks is enlarging every day, as Moes uh, mentioned, because we can apply artificial intelligence and deep learning to more and more tasks, but it cannot solve any kind of problems. So most of the time with people in my company, I have to precise on which kind of task uh, machine learning is going to bring a lot of power, but it's not all tasks. So do not forget that it's not an almighty applicable to anything technology. And I, I think maybe building on what you just said, Julia, uh, there are also some min- misunderstandings that uh, at the uh, uh, various uh, level in, in the companies, not of course the data scientists, but sometimes we see clients uh, who struggle a bit to understand what AI can exactly do. Actually, so uh, they know because they read newspaper that it can it can do a prediction, for instance. But it's not clear that, of course, it needs a lot of history to do this prediction, etc. So sometimes it's also difficult to have the uh, uh, the employees themselves or the uh, the people in at our client understand what is really possible and feasible. And and the, there is a, a huge effort that could be uh, could be put on. Uh, bringing this awareness to uh, to more and more people uh, at our clients. How do you go about that? How, how do you begin to educate people that maybe aren't so technical? Obviously, uh, all three of you have a bit of a technical background. So what do you find is the best approach for bringing that technical knowledge into an organization? Yeah, well, what we usually do uh, is really uh, uh, bringing examples of use cases that work uh, either in the same industry or some, in some different industries. Uh, we, we organize workshop for instance we, we bring partners also we can uh, demonstrate some uh, uh, mature solution we uh, uh, we have data scientists that uh, join us in these types of meetings so it's really showing what it can do uh, so that people can uh, in the end understand what they could do with that uh, but it, it's really uh, uh, for them a kind of a test and learn I would say uh, uh, a journey. I cannot agree more, but it's, it's just like machine learning. I mean, people learn from examples. So you got to show examples of type of use case that could be applied to their own environment and own business processes. It's really, how can that be applied to your day-to-day processes and work? So it's not a question about learning, uh, oh, AI is working because that's the the job of data scientists. But most of the time, what we got to do is more about awareness and what could be applied to their processes? It's, it's more of a way of thinking than it is, um, you, you know, learning something, a, I guess. A way to transform their business. For example, um, it's not always obvious, for example, for people to understand that generating an email is a kind of prediction. It's something that AI is quite good at today. I mean, generating text or generating emails uh, that can be sent to client, for example. This is a prediction on text, but it's not obvious for people. There's sometimes something AI is powerful at. It's, it's actually good that you bring in this up, uh, Julien, this, this email answering. So I've done a number of projects where we look at how to use natural language processing, which is one of the areas of machine learning, where deep learning actually uh, made a complete paradigm shift in this area to answer emails. 
And now you may have heard about GPT-3, which is this new technology that OpenAI developed that is doing kind of forecasts and rep- answers questions very, very well. In fact, if you want to apply it, the sophisticated, very advanced technology to clients, most of the time, it's either overkill or just too complex to put in place. And so it's not more that much about the performance and the sophistication of the algorithms as what type of emails are you answering? What is the context that it's important and how to help people answer emails more quickly through these tools rather than having something that is able to answer all sorts of questions? I think this is where often the challenge is from the technological sophistication to the business impact. You're right. Well, the point is that there is no... uh magic wand that can solve all problems. As you say, it has to be specified to every kind of context. And for example, using GPT-3, which is, I mean, the, the training set of GPT-3 is just huge. Uh, I mean, I think the whole full English Wikipedia is only 6% of its training base. And yet it's not applicable to be a, a general speaker that can make any kind of answer. So you get every time you're addressing a new problem, a new use case, you get to specify it and Sometimes it won't go until a full automation. For example, in the case of email, uh, we still rely mostly on recommendation uh, to real human we're going to send the email in the end. So we still have, in some domains, quite a lot of fantasies, and we have to adapt it to the to the real world, which is not always easy. So I'm, I'm going to hone in on those fantasies for a second. Can I ask, uh, in all of your experiences, where have people commonly gone wrong? You've got... Uh, an, an initiative where people have gone like, yes, we, we want to implement machine learning here, or we, we're going to apply a, a certain level of automation here. Um, where do you see people make the most mistakes and go wrong when they're it, early on trying to bring in an artificial intelligence initiative? So I have, I have a practical uh, example, which is a, uh, 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 an engagement that we did for for, for a client, uh, they had many uh, customer data. They wanted to build uh, predictions and, and, and scores based on this data. So we uh, we we had a team of data scientists to to do that. But in the end, we uh, discovered that there were uh, many many different ways to to name uh, customers uh, at this client. There were many uh, uh, master data management. So in the end, it took uh, I think more than. 70% of the time of the team to really uh, work on the data, make sure that they were consistent, uh, merge uh, different sets of data, etc., than building the uh, data science tool uh, itself. So, And I think this still happens. Uh, every, everyone talks about data quality. We know that it's a, it's a, a key enabler if you want to do data science properly. But I think the the clients, uh, our clients, still have uh, some some uh, challenges on data quality, and and for me, it's a, it's it's a start a starting point to to really approach AI. I uh, I agree with Marie-Caroline. Generally, there is uh, we can say in one sentence, there is no bad use case. Uh, you can have over expectation sometimes, uh, but most of the time, you have no bad use case because you can mostly apply machine learning to. Anything, uh, the only thing you need is to have data about the things you want to solve. That's the basic. Uh, if you have past data that are representative of the problem you want to solve, you can try to do something. There is no bad use case. But there are a few false ideas that people may have in mind. Our first idea is that it's quick, 
and cheap. So that's not quick and cheap. Uh, as Marika Lini mentioned, you get to spend a lot of time cleaning your data, organizing your data, and make them representative. And sometimes the text that we call labeling, when you make uh, supervised learning, you get to give example to your algorithm. So you get to spend time putting labels on your data, which is quite costly. Um, and most of all, uh, the common thing, the common false idea you have is that it's not an IT project. Because uh, in the end, if you want to change things for a client or change things for an employee that will use your AI solution, you get to plug that algorithm into uh, into a software that will be used by either your client or your employee. So it's always a complex project. Uh, you have to have good data and something that is usable by someone in the end. So it's always kind of complex. So it's not quick and cheap. That's always the, the major false idea that I see. Good to kind of uh, complete what we just said. I think often people think that an AI project is about the algorithm that solves the prediction, the scoring, the fraud detection question you're trying to deal with and ignore the, the the journey you have to go through from the data labeling to understanding of existing business processes to tracking KPIs that the your machine learning is, is supposed to improve and then to bring in this into the existing environment of people who are using that tool. And so the, the algorithmic part is not is not the easy part, but it's it's often the part where we have most control on once all the others are are stable. And I think some of the, the misconceptions come from the fact that the uh, communication around AI focuses on the successes from the algorithmic perspective and not so much on the whole journey. And as Julien was saying, which is expensive, which has to be calibrated to what are the benefits that we're going get, to get out of it and how it's going to improve the daily work of people who are doing this and change certain tasks that are painful or badly done in an organization. So how do you choose what processes that you might approach with AI? So is there such thing as a bad thing that you could approach with AI that, for instance, I work in a creative industry, so I, I perhaps naively think, oh, I wouldn't want artificial intelligence to come and invade the thing that I do. So is there anything that you would advise clients not to go near with artificial intelligence yet because it's not quite there yet? Or do you think everything's up for up for grabs at the moment? So I think uh, Julien touched a little bit uh, upon this. The, the, uh, the, the problem is that if you don't have uh, confidence in your initial data that you're using, you clearly should not use AI. If it's a topic where you know that there are potentially you know, bias issues, privacy issues, etc., sold those out before going into in doing AI. And then uh, I think it's also important not to use AI to mimic others, but to really identify areas where you believe that you have the, the right data, the skills, and the business opportunity to do it, to, to do this. And, and at, at many clients, sometimes uh, we don't have all these kind of uh, um, elements in place uh, to succeed in this. So I, I would say, like, it's really it's difficult to give you a kind of a, a blanket answer to this, but there are a number of dimensions to consider before saying I should use AI or should not use AI. And this is in all sectors, creative, public sector, financial services, et cetera. And each will have its sensitivities and its risks to be taken into account. Well, I, I fully agree with you, Moez and Bebe. Give you one example that is quite illustrative of, of the limitation and sometimes 
uh, the bad use or bad ideas for AI sometimes. Uh, let's take an example about speech to text. So how can we convert directly uh, an audio sample into a plain text, which is something AI is quite good at. There were previous technologies that were doing that before AI, but it turns out that machine learning algorithms are quite good at converting uh, audio into plain text. So I had a client, well, a customer within my organization, we said, well, could be applying that to our sales, um, our sales team who are working on phone platform so that they could avoid chatting with the client, but they could be just uh, spelling their answers to uh, the algorithm that will then push the plain text into the chat so they will be more productive and maybe we can correct a few mistyping and so on. And this is, for example, a bad uh, use of AI because um, we must never forget that AI is also a probabilistic field. So there we almost never have 100% accurate answers with AI. That's not what it's meant for. So for example, uh, transcripts are not always 100% accurate. So if you want to keep a good image to your client of the text you're sending to them, maybe using AI won't be perfect because you always have to recorrect um, things uh, that has been transcribed by AI on, from speech to text. For example, in this use case, that's not a good one. Uh, and that was hard to say to my client, but still speech to text has a lot of value because you can afford to have 95 or 92% accuracy in transcribing uh, your audio from text, for example, in transcribing all conversation we had in call centers uh, to have estimation of what the client called for, what was the purpose of the call, or what was the, the sentiment of the conversation, for example. So never forget it's never 100% accurate, but it cannot be applied to. It has value in some use case, but not in all use case. So if once an organization has got their data in place and um, they've begun labeling, they've got a system moving, the whole point of this show was to talk about how we scale that approach. And um, in the Capgemini State of AI report, there's the four principles for successfully scaling AI. Can I lean on Juliac to help me understand what the four principles are and what we should really be looking at as we try and scale within an organization? I think in the beginning, you have to make sure that data is already used by your business stakeholder to take decisions. So that you have started uh, putting analytics and KPIs and data generation to monitor your business processes. And it all goes with the second prerequisite is that you are at the minimum a bit digital on your key processes because that's a basic, but AI won't be applicable if you do not have data and if you are not at your first stages at least of digitization because you need to have data representative of your sales, your customer behavior, your customer request and so on that need to be digitized. Once the two prerequisites are tackled, then you can start working on four different dimensions. First one, you need to have proper infrastructure because working on machine learning requires a specific infrastructure for storing and computing data. Second one, make sure, and Moez mentioned it also, when you have to work on sensitive data, on PII and so on, you need to make sure that you have a proper data management policies in place, which is uh, also very complex and costly. You have to be compliant with uh, RGPD, for example, in Europe, or to have also the proper uh, 
access to data to make sure that not everyone in the company can access sensitive data, for example. The third stage uh, are really about strategic appropriation. You need to make sure that you apply AI where it has value and where it is aligned with your business strategy. So we have to train a lot of senior business leaders to make sure they understand what they can do with AI and what AI can bring to their strategic objectives. So really that you knew that the drive come from the top. And the fourth one is all about talent and organization because using AI requires new kind of skills that must be working end in end with uh, also existing talent in IT, in compliance, in legal, because it's, all, it's not only a question about data scientists. Yeah, it's really a complex organizational chain if you want to use AI at scale. Maybe to add to what's been said, and, and um, sort of this is uh, somehow me, me believing that uh, data scientists and like using data is, is a creative, not just only an IT task. Is uh, I think all the enablers that were discussed are important, but at the end, what you want to have is is are tools that enable whoever person in the organization to go and explore uh, certain tasks that require some cognitive sophistication that AI enables. And I'm just going to give you an example. We have a client that looks at the release of new products in the uh, in the consumer goods space. And if you want to do good research, you need to crack text, you need to look at images, you need to look at similarities, you need to do forecast and prediction. And, and, and clearly, this is not something that any person can master. And if you put those tools at the fingertips of your employees, then these people can then deliver themselves use cases and be super creative in what they do. And I think the success of uh, deploying AI in organization, once all these uh, prerequisites uh, that were descri- described by Julien are replaced, is really to the enablement of this autonomy for individuals to go and explore new kind of opportunities and new, new businesses and, and, and change the way they work. I think this this would be kind of was the exciting part, at least what I find in doing my job as as a data scientist. I want to dig in a little bit more into the sort of like organizational um, world of how all of this works. So, obviously, you need a technical team to put together artificial intelligence initiatives, but who else needs to be involved? Uh, we talked a little bit about running workshops to try and get people more involved and to help them understand what's going on. But what teams do you most commonly see when you're working within your companies that you feel need to be involved from the get-go? Um, maybe that's with data organization. Maybe that's with understanding processes. Who who would you usually reach out to within an organization? Well, actually, we, we, we need multiple skills. And usually we work in uh, with uh, agile teams. Uh, we need we need definitely a product owner, which is really the person who is responsible for uh, owning this uh, this uh, uh, AI in the end, uh, who is going to to use it or make sure that his teams uh, are going to to use it, um, and who is going to see the value in the AI and, and validate the value uh, in the AI. We, we need all the uh, uh, data scientists. Sometimes it, uh, there are data engineers, uh, depending on the solution. So really the uh, uh, the experts and technical uh, teams. Uh, usually we need the uh, IT teams that represent also the, the legacy where you are going to implement the uh, AI, uh, AI solutions. Um, and usually because 
all these AI solutions are built for some business purposes. Uh, we need, uh, I would say, a, a business sponsor. Uh, for instance, if it's for efficiency, we, we need a COO or uh, uh, someone who is in charge of uh, uh, bringing efficiencies. If it's for a client, we, we need the, uh, the head of uh, marketing or, or distribution, uh, etc. So it's, it's really... Uh, uh, a very complex uh, alchemy that we we have to uh, to build with the uh, uh, on on these topics of rebuilding AI. You're right, Marie Caroline, and you describe well all the roles that need to be involved in a in an AI transformation from the sponsor to the data scientist. Uh, and if uh, I give a complementary view on who are we talking about AI within Société Générale, for example, when we when it comes to people. So uh, we talk about AI at strategic level. So we have a CEO, deputy CEOs, and all head of business unit and service unit. So you need a strategic dialogue and make sure there's not only a specialist issue, and then you talk about that with very senior members of your company. And we also talk a lot with digital officers, so digital leaders, um, with chief data officer because they're in charge of data management and IT leaders because we need to have the IT teams involved, but also legal and compliance because you need to make sure that product developed are in line uh, with your regulation and your engagement on, on a few questions. So it's a very broad topic that need to involve a lot of people, a lot of skills uh, with different levels of seniority, but also big involvement from top and senior management. Moving on from there, and let's say you're scaling your initiative internally, potentially a controversial subject. Maybe you've got a lot of people working on this initiative, but what happens to the people that um, might be automated out of a job at a later point? Um, a lot of these initiatives are to automate processes that could be, you know, they're quite time consuming for a human to do or could be done a lot faster with a computer. What's the role with the people that um, potentially are being replaced? I think in, in the end, we, we have to think of it uh, not only uh, as something to, to replace uh, humans or, or at least a number of them, but it's it's also uh, augmenting, I would say, what, what they do uh, because AI can do stuff that humans can't. Uh, and Julia mentioned fraud monitoring, but it, it can be uh, if, if you see all the uh, uh, the possibilities in uh, in the health uh, domain, for instance, uh, you you can uh, uh, make very good prediction, for instance, for for, for cancer uh, by training uh, training AI. And one single uh, specialist couldn't uh, have all these, uh, uh, would say, expertise uh, just him. Uh, uh, look, looking at, at a scanner, for instance. So it's really bringing also more, uh, I think, to, to companies, more to the society. But, but I think the, the potential that we're all talking about cannot be realized until uh, most people whose jobs are disrupted by AI pick up some of the new tools that are available to them. So we talked a lot about natural language processing, which is where most of the progress in artificial intelligence is is today and a lot of the hype is. This is something that enables to sift through documents. So Julien mentioned uh, the financial services uh, applica application. There are many applications in public sector, um, everything where humans have to read through documents, classify them, understand them, and take decision out of them. This is a, a, a tedious task that often has a lot of uh, 
subjectiveness that are introduced if it's just done by different people. And this is kind of something that enables people to uh, take part of the tedious uh, components away and focus on the added value. And this could make their job more enjoyable, but they have to master the tools that they're using so they could make the most of it and then have better job and more interesting job. And also by creating new spaces. So in fraud, for example, for the time being, we just managed to um, uncover very few uh, fruits or very specific types of fruits. If, if, if the tools enable more people to use these tools to do it, then we can be uncovering more fraud in public sector or in financial services in this respect. So I think it's the, the, the combination of the two will enable people to keep their jobs and have better jobs going forward. So how do you not over-automate? So obviously with all of this conversation about artificial intelligence, um, it's all about automation. It's all about making things slicker. Is there such a thing as over-automating? Is there such thing as going too far? Seeing the example of over-automation in the tech industry, uh, I think they have automated a lot of tasks and then you know they got haunted by them eventually by kind of not having a human in the loop that it's controlling what it's put online, how people are reacting to it, whether people, the engagement of people is changing, et cetera. I think, I think there's already kind of a, some some signs that came from this industry among, among uh, sort of other things in respect to this. I feel also, and if you go back to the kind of things we talked about, is that if you automate the wrong tasks, so uh, Julien mentioned the speech to text, there are a lot of client-facing uh, um, uh, scenarios when you are um, looking at, for example, criminal justice or health and you're automating and there is no human interpretation of the results and then some balanced decision that takes the what the data says and what the context is, then you are going into areas where AI could be harmful uh, and becomes uh, uh, mistrusted in the decision-making. And I think this is this is what's, what's important. I mean, just maybe give another example that is interesting is that if you go into areas where you have specialized, so I do a lot of uh, AI and engineering uh, environments, if you are taking someone who's, for example, mixing chemicals to produce some product and tell them what's the best mix without explaining to them why the mix is happening, they won't trust it and they will do whatever they are doing. So you have an expensive AI, but the same process. Uh, and I think this is these are the challenges of auto automation if they're not uh, if all of these dimensions are not taken into account. So we we've tried to throughout the show understand what artificial intelligence is, and obviously there's a, there's a lot inside of it. Um, and um, also thinking about that over automation side of things, about like looking towards processes that maybe don't need to be touched so much or are a bit more sensitive. All, all of this contributes to artificial intelligence feeling like quite unapproachable. Like if, if I'm someone that's not technical and don't necessarily want to be involved with this, th- there's quite harsh on-ramp, especially if your organization is scaling this stuff inside, but it seems like a big thing to try and understand off the get-go. So what's the right approach within an organization to bring people into the fold? Is it right at the beginning or is there kind of like a staged approach in which you can sort of educate and introduce people to these new systems? Yes, for me, you, you need really to, uh, to to bring everyone in this. It's just like, uh, you know, five or seven years ago, uh, everyone uh, was in the end talking about digital and, and knowing what digital was able to bring uh, to, to, to the company. So I think it's the same for AI. Everyone in the companies need to understand what can be done with AI. They, they don't need to understand how it works necessarily, but they, they need to to understand uh, what it can bring, uh, so that they can also be part of the uh, uh, 
the, 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 for, I, for instance, the, the ideation or how to use these, uh, these AI. And uh, I would say especially uh, the, uh, the managers, uh, because they, they, they have to lead this transformation and they have to make sure that their teams are going to understand and uh, to adopt uh, this solution. And we, we should not forget the, uh, the clients uh, of the companies who also have to, to adopt the solutions uh, that the, the, the companies uh, give to them in terms of AI, like uh, AI interactions. You need to, to, to have always a transparent approach on your use of AI. Uh, make sure that everyone is informed about your use of it and that you have a good control. But at the same time, you must, as Marie-Caroline mentioned, you need to train people, uh, make them understand what AI can bring uh, and make it simple, not go into too much technical details. I mean, I need, not everyone has to understand the kind of algorithms that are behind, but just to make them understand, uh, reassure, and also make them part of the process because they have to know how to learn, how to imagine use cases that can improve their day-to-day working. What do you all see as the most exciting and may- maybe the most undiscovered part of AI that you think is going to be more useful for organizations going forward? Um, maybe the technology is not there yet or, or you're just sort of like seeing it come up on the horizon. Where do you think people should be looking in the future for um, what kind of tech they should be using? Well, I think you might have heard about sort of some of the exploits of, uh, of Google on uh, gaming. Uh, we talked about, we might have heard about the game of Go where there's a machine that beat the world champion. And I think this is uh, the area where like, we're creating some sort of intelligence uh, where complex scenarios have to be analyzed and compared to past situations, and then the best decision is made. And this is, will have a huge impact in uh, manufacturing, uh, well, say self-driving cars to some extent have this behind it. But this is an area where it's working very well in labs or video games or very controlled environments, but very hard to put in other settings. And I think this is an area in combination with uh, the connectivity that uh, sort of new communication paradigms are bringing could really blur the digital and the real world and then can bring a lot of opportunities for having more efficient, uh, less energy uh, hungry technologies going forward. And this is an area I'm very excited about. And this is an area where we're trying to experiment in currently with a number of clients to bring it to life in industries where it's kind of uh, has a lot of potential. Uh, yeah, you're right. The, the, the potential of AlphaGo and AlphaZero and MuGo and so on is very impressive. And as you mentioned, with the combination of 5G and so on, could be bringing into life real solutions. Regarding financial services and more specifically Societe Générale, we believe this is more the uh, the NLP field, as you mentioned with GPT-3 before, that's going to have significant impact because we still at the first steps uh, of these gigantic language models uh, and their capabilities into handling human language and uh, all the impacts it might have in our business processes. So I believe really uh, the use of NLP and the declination of such uh, GPT-3 models, how it will impact the industry because we are still in the very early steps of commercial use of such algorithm and i believe they will transform the way we work within five years i'm looking forward to all the new data that we will be able to collect in the future um with iot for instance uh, and 5g and uh, 
uh, I think that we will have a, a brand new uh, field of uh, possible use cases that will uh, will emerge and that will be uh, quite uh, exciting. Um, I also see and I hope that we will have uh, um, maybe in the short term a more not transparent, but uh, maybe some kind of self-explanatory uh, AI, so that it's easier also to uh, uh, to democratize a bit the uh, uh, the AI and, and and make sure that it really uh, uh, helps organization to transform themselves. So, um, for me, the future would be that a- AI uh, is m- more understood by everyone. And uh, leverages really all the uh, all, all the data and the tremendous amount of data that uh, uh, we we are all going to produce in the coming years. What I think is important to take away from this episode is that while the technology is critical to how AI operates, it's the human element of an organization that really powers the ability to scale within an organization. When you're implementing an artificial intelligence initiative, you need adoption from every level of your business. A big thank you to Julia, Marie-Caroline, and Moes. You can find out more about the guests and the work in AI that Capgemini and Invent do in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast was brought to you by Capgemini Invent. We'll see you next week. <laughs>